listeners, welcome back to Bridging the Digital Divide. I'm Lisa Kapala, and I have with me Brad McKenna. You guys know that because you've been following along since day one, right? Uh, today's episode is going to be questions from our listeners or subscribers. We have some really good ones for you today. Um, some of them came from Facebook. Some came from our account where we have the podcast that you can listen to, so we'll be handling that. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to Brad about what's new at the library. So, Brad, tell us what's going on at the library. So we actually just, I, I went to a conference back in uh, June, and at that conference I saw another 3D printer. And Ooh, we're nice. kind of looking, we were looking to replace or add to our current one since the company that made it no longer supports it and no longer makes that model. So I talked to a bunch of people and I got a bunch of reviews. And so we have, we I just got the box yesterday, so it's, it's, it's down the road. But cool. uh, it's it, the company uh, is Adelph Objects, and the printer's called called Lulzbot. I don't know. Okay. It's, it's kind of a weird name, and I was really suspicious when I first saw it because it seems too cute or mm. whatnot, but it gets great reviews, so I'm cool. looking forward to breaking that open and providing a better service for people with that. All right, and once we get that running, we'll do a show about 3G printing. Yeah. We've got to talk about that because that's definitely a wave of the future. But for today, we want to thank our first questioner, I guess I'll call him. <laughs> John Mall is his name, and he asks about operating systems. He says, iOS is about to celebrate 10 years without a bona fide malware attack. What does this mean for the software industry, and what can other operating systems learn from this? So before I let Brad answer that, iOS is Apple's operating system. Uh, some of the most common operating systems are Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X, and Linux. So just to give us a little bit of overview before he explains to us what this means, that's what an iOS is. That's Apple's operating system, uh, right? Yeah, it's Apple's mobile device. So iPads, iPad, uh, iPhones use iOS. Okay. Mac OS is for the desktops. Ah, good uh, yeah. point. And and so uh, it's really funny because uh, Apple does have a reputation for being a much more secure product. And the main reason for that is uh, they handle everything from hardware to software. With Windows or Linux, you um, have man uh, other manufacturers. So this would be like subbing it out. Like if you're building a house, somebody yeah. does the plumbing, somebody mm -hmm. does the roofing. But with Apple, everything. they do it all. It's yep. one-stop shopping. Yeah. So that's kind of the good news and the bad news. Right? Sure, right. So I mean, they, with uh, you don't, they're more expensive. And that's why. is because they ha they have everything involved. We ha you hear about like the Samsung Galaxy. That's running uh, Chrome OS. So what hap Google did was they gave their operating system to these hardware manufacturers and they were able to modify the code in order to customize mm. for their hardware. And so it's really just avail an availability issue and uh, really funny timing with this because uh, in 2016, uh, the Pew Internet Research Study Group, whatever they are called, f revealed that for the first time in history, which I guess isn't that long when you're considering the internet, um, mobile device traffic made the majority of traffic on all of all uh, of all traffic in the internet. So what that means is more people are looking on th things online on their phone or their tablet, and so uh, it just squeaked over. It's like fifty two percent is mobile, so it's it's close, but it's still the majority. And and what what this means is really the re one of the reasons uh, that the iOS is so secure is. It's kind of like the bang for the buck with the hackers. So the global operating, uh, the global share of the operating system market is like 95% Windows. And so if you're a hacker, you want to get as much damage as possible. So you're going to focus on that operating system because bugs or uh, viruses have to be written for the specific operating system. Um, and so now that 
the mobile devices are becoming uh, the go-to method for surfing the internet, it's not as safe anymore. There's actually been a couple of exploits. Um, and so it's really like it's – I'm not sure if they can learn well, he's anything. He's asking because yeah. uh, I'm amazed that they haven't had any malware attacks in 10 years. That's really amazing. It, so what are they doing? What's yeah, their secret, I guess? It was really just keeping know. the source close to the vest. So instead of outsourcing, it's a closed, it's a closed circuit, right? So you don't have to worry about – multiple people getting it. Anybody who knows how to work with the hardware and the software works for Apple. Um, so, Would that be considered a monopoly, almost? Uh, their operating not system? Not really, because you have choice, well, right? Well, it's technology, yeah. too. It's a, how can you really say that the technology they have, it's proprietary, right? So you can't really blame right. them there. Yeah. So I guess other systems maybe try to learn to keep things more close to the vest, not so much sharing. But it's yeah. got to be about the money, though, too. Yeah. Because if Google shares it out with other companies... Yeah then they can use it and make money. So I don't know. And, and it's really, it, you pay more for Apple. You always have. Um, and that, that way they really do focus a lot on security. So I'm not going to say it's, they're not doing anything and it's just, you know, uh, not victim, but I guess benefit of circumstances for them. Because they are. They do a lot. Uh, they, they pay attention to everything with it. Um, and and that, that, that went a long way. But now that... People so if you want one-stop shopping and you want something that's the most secure yeah. currently, go with Apple, but know mm. that you're going to pay for that. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to last forever for sure. Right, because I'm sure the hackers are trying to Always. hack in there because that must be a challenge for them. Yes. They must want to yes. break it, so to speak. For sure. All right. His next question is: What is JavaScript whitelisting? Oh, my favorite. <laughs> and why should I never surf the web without it? Yeah, I have trouble understanding whitelisting, so I'm glad yeah. you're going to explain that. I'll just talk a little bit about JavaScript. JavaScript is a program language, and whitelisting or whitelist is an app which indexes approved software apps. It's also called a spam filter, like a permissions list. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, so yeah, JavaScript, anytime you get like a pop-up or anytime you try to type a password and it's wrong, that's JavaScript. It's validating data, among other things. And so... Um, with a website, they're written in HTML and CSS, and that just really just that just uh, should for display how things are arranged, what they look like, stuff like that. So it's a static, it's a static language, so you can't change it on the fly. And so JavaScript uh, extends the capability of the web page, and it also is interactive. So that's where the risk comes in, is because uh, you don't know what sites are using JavaScript, and you unless you really look into it, you don't know what parts of what sites are using JavaScript. So is JavaScript JavaScript a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. It's it's a good thing, but it's it makes you vulnerable because it makes another adds a level of complexity to the web page. Okay. Um, so you you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a website that doesn't use JavaScript because it's just it's. So then, if handy. you whitelist listed, which means you don't give permission for this to get through, right? Other way. It's the other so way. So blacklist ah, is, blacklist okay, okay. is a list where you deny where you um you deny specific people. So um. If you want to, by default, allow, you have a blacklist. But what he's, what he's talking about here is a whitelist ah. is that um, you deny everybody to run JavaScript. So that means that if you have one of these plugins, um, uh, ScriptSafe, I think, is one of them from, for your, uh, any of the browsers. And what it does is it blocks all JavaScript, and it creates you create a whitelist, which is basically just a list of sites that you will allow JavaScript ah. to run. Okay. So he's got a good point because you really it, you really don't know what the job what the JavaScript is doing. Um, so 
if you want to go that way, you install the plugin and you create a list of sites that you commonly go to to allow the JavaScript. The issue with that is is, is very rarely are you always on the same site. Sure, you go back to the same right. subset of sites, but if you're surfing around, you're going to be bouncing around a website to website. And, um, and if you're blocking it by default, you're not going to get the full capability of that site, and which isn't may, a bad thing. Me as the user, I might forget that right. I did that. I might say, why can yeah. I not see what you can see? Yeah. Well, that's because it's not on my whitelist right. permission list. So how does the layperson set up a whitelist? It's pretty straightforward. Um, you, you have to install a, a plugin on your browser. Um, so, Chrome. so what would you do? Would you like go into a browser window and type in? JavaScript whitelist or yeah. something, and yeah. it would Wh- give you an app. <laughs> that's a, that's a great that's a great go to <laughs> method. When in doubt, Google it. Really, that's okay. all you have to do is just JavaScript whitelist, and most likely it'll bring you back to, uh, a list of pages that are the pages of the plugins. Okay. Uh, Script safe. I think that's the the one that's the uh, the most popular. Is you you add it to your browser, and then uh, in the settings for that plugin. You create, you write down the list of sites that okay. you want. So someone like me who probably goes to maybe you know ten or fifteen sites regularly, then a few here or there. Yeah. I don't know that I would need that. But what if you've got kids and they're going to every site in the universe? Would whitelisting mm. be helpful that way also? Yes. And would it also be good for parental controls too oh, yeah. to not have your kids going to things that they shouldn't be going to? Yeah, I mean yes. So that's a real. I mean, so that is just. I mean, it's not like parental controls, but it's yeah. another layer of control that you might have as a parent. It's yeah. not going to lock them out, right? But right. You'll will... be able to get to the site, but you just, they won't be able to really interact with the sites. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great idea uh, if, you, okay. if you want to kind of opt in versus an opt out kind of thing with when, when kids or, uh, you know, maybe parent or grandparent that isn't right, used right, to going right. this somebody just doesn't know now um is this anything like allowing cookies or enabling cookies is it the same kind of concept where you have to tell your computer allow this or don't allow this yeah. and will it ask you once something is in the whitelist will it occasionally ask you do you still want to keep this there you know the computer sometimes does that it'll yeah. ask you, do you still want to leave it as default <laughs> this or that i never know what to say so once you put it on the whitelist that's it yeah that and that's the biggest i guess hurdle with the whitelisting it's it's puts the the onus on you. I mean, it protects yeah. you, but you really have to remember that it's there because you're not gonna, you're not going to be. And able then, to. where in your settings would you find your whitelist? Yeah. Is another thing too, mm-hmm. because I, there must be a checkoff box where you put it on there. But where is the master list of your whitelisted sites y- contained? Where do you find that? In the plugin. So when, with, oh, okay. uh, yeah, with uh, phone, Chrome or Firefox, it's usually like the three bars, and then you'll have like you'll have the options button to click and then there'll also be an add-ons button which is your plugin okay. and then from there it'll give you a list of the plugins and then each plugin is going to have its own settings so the whitelist will be the settings for those okay. for the script safe so then would it work this way that I would go to a new site let's say and I have the plugin enabled would it then ask me if I want do you want to whitelist this site no it doesn't it'll, it'll do block that. it by default and then you'd have to go uh, in there because okay. what, what you do is you go to the site and it, you might, it might not get anything it might be completely blank because the JavaScript is in like the header and it doesn't allow anything to display because the way the site's designed or you might get some content, it just might look funky or you might okay. actually get into like a form and okay. that's where you get. So it's, it's going to be different depending on the site where you're interacting right. with it. That's good to know. So then this is the with situation where you bring your computer to the geeks and the first thing say, well, where's your whitelist? White, yeah. Now you'll know. <laughs> you'll know what they mean. All right. Next question he has, is, is, my, is it my fault for 
clicking a link in phishing, spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, in phishing email, or is it a failure of the entire software stack from OS to email client to web browser? Let me explain what phishing is, and then we'll let Brad take this one. Phishing is an attempt to obtain sensitive information, such as usernames, passwords. Phishing emails may contain links to sites that are infected with malware. Yeah. Yeah. How often are people getting phishing attempts? And is that when you get a text on your phone and it's you don't recognize the person and it's got some website link to it? Yeah, most likely when you get an email or a text yeah, I, or something. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of those lately. So basically phishing is the number one uh, method that spammers use, is they get you to click a link and nine, uh, not 90, a majority of the time they're just looking to get, gather information so it's not going not to infect you, uh, right. but they're going to gather information about whatever you have exposed. And, Interesting. Yeah. So don't click on those, Never. obviously. <laughs> but he's asking, is it his fault? Or is it a failure of the system itself? I don't feel like it's my fault. I mean, sometimes I, you know, I have a lot of people that I don't really super know that have my mm-hmm. email. And sometimes I get weird emails with weird subject lines and I open them. And they're actually from legit people that I know. Sure. So how can you really tell the difference yeah, as and the consumer? I hate, to, I hate to get into the fault or placing blame or anything like that because um, there's plenty of blame to go around. So you have – so – that email, that, that phishing link is had to go through a sender's email server, your, your, uh, your, your personal email server, your email client if you use it, an antivirus program. So there are multiple checks so along the way. So the ball has to be dropped quite a bit before it gets to me. Yeah. So should I be angry about that? Uh, so no, don't be angry because mistakes happen, but you also but have five, to be diligent. five times mm-hmm. down the road, sure. by the time it gets to me, the little bitty consumer, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit perturbed, especially for, when yeah. I pay for you know my uh, internet service. Absolutely. It's expensive. I, I don't think it's really, it, it could go either way, right? So there's no blame or there's plenty of blame and you're included in that blame for making making the mistake of clicking it. But it doesn't – because it's so prevalent that you really it, – it's not a big deal essentially because you have all those checks in place. So um, – and it's constantly uh, – they're constantly adjusting their tactics. Okay. And, so what if it gets through? Should I blacklist that person after that? Sure. After I see that, that would be the Flag of the spam, yeah. And for the most part, it's because uh, – your interaction with it and and happens before your antivirus program or your malware program so you could click on a link and it'll bring you to it'll start to bring you to a site but your antivirus program most likely is going to catch that because it's going to be a suspicious site so even if you do click it um a lot of the time, it's not going to do anything because you're, you've protected yourself by okay. doing having an interface. And the same thing with if it comes on your phone, you can always block that yeah, outlet from your for phone. Sure, so you can yeah. protect yourself that mm-hmm, way, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question is, newspapers tell me I'm stealing from them. I love this one. Mm-hmm, if I mm-hmm. use an ad blocker like uBlock Origin, are they right? Or did they create this mess themselves? An ad blocker is a piece of software that blocks ads from showing up on a web page. I have ad blocker and still pop-ups come. Sure. Still. It, it, it's because of code. I mean, not everything's going to be trapped as a as It's a really annoying, blocker. I have yeah. to say. I hope you computer <laughs> creators out there are listening. Get on it. it, it's, it I don't <laughs> think that helps me to want to buy stuff. I can tell you that it makes me more angry yeah. and less apt to utilize the services mm-hmm. of that person. But I think what the ad people are thinking is the more you see it, it will be embedded in your brain. And they're probably right. right. But it's super frustrating. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Um, So I guess it's sort of, I don't know if it's stealing. So no, I guess... I mean, yeah, if the, yes if the no, website right? is free, I'm using air quotes, um, then and I go to it, then they have to make some money by putting ads on there so that they recoup 
what they pay to put the site out. So if I block those... It's tough because no... So... It's very popular nowadays to just get your just Google something and grab the answer and not really check to make sure that the information is valid, fake news and all that, right? right. So and Wikipedia, and, and, right? Right, and, and so uh, newspapers are in a tough spot. They they're not as bad, I think, as uh, like the music industry when Napster was around. So, right. uh, but it's really they were slow to change. They they really stubbornly held on to that print newspaper. Uh, as the source of their major income. And when subscriptions went down, you have to turn to a revenue for somewhere else. And, and so I, I hate to say you're stealing, but that's, that's the, if you don't want to pay for a subscription, that's how the company, that's how the newspapers are going to make money. And you have to, you have to accept that. Okay, but and, to play devil's advocate with mm-hmm. you, you block Origin needs to make money too. Uh, for sure, yeah. And they so, made the app to help you so you don't have to do the ads. It's kind of like a, a little hamster wheel yeah. kind of going around here. I don't know that I would use the word stealing. I would say it's maybe not nice, but I wouldn't say right. stealing. I wouldn't say, yeah, I, you, you know? you're making the newspapers' lives difficult is what you're doing. Well, he's saying newspapers you. telling you that you're stealing from them. Of course they are. It's because yeah. shock value, yeah. right? They want you, to, want you to allow it in so they I can mean, sell their ads. I don't know. If, if they didn't bombard us with ads, <laughs> I would be okay with that. I think it's gotten to the point where it's ridiculous. So maybe that's why people block. I wouldn't probably if it was just one thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's getting in the way of the information I'm looking at a lot of yeah. times. Especially those ones that come up in their videos and they're like, like oh, eight I to ten those. seconds yeah. long, and you have to actually wait mm-hmm. to close it. Yeah. That's frustrating. So one thing they are, have started to do—not newspapers in, uh, in, uh, specifically, but uh, websites in general—because of this issue, what they're doing is they're um, they're embedding sponsored or featured content in their website. So it's like an. Sometimes you'll be scrolling through a story and you'll see like an ad in the middle yeah. of it, and that's not an ad. So that pop there, your ad blocker is not going to crab that. But it's technically it's it's it is an ad because they sold that space to another company in order to get people to click on that link to read about what their sponsored content wants to say. Right. So that's how they're getting around it. Mm-hmm. So they know now about these ad blocking programs. Yeah. So by putting it on the page, almost like an illustration, really. Because mm-hmm. when you print it, sometimes those ads won't yes. come out. I don't know if you've noticed yes, that. I have. You're like, why is this a nine-page document? And you get it, and there's <laughs> like empty. five words on it because the ad parts don't print out. Yes. I actually think that's fairly creative. And yeah. at least as the reader, you can scroll down and over it. But when they've got your computer hostage is yeah. what bugs me when those videos come up and you can't mm. click it closed. Ugh, autoplay I, is horrible. Yeah, I and I have it. tried everything I can think of as far as settings to make it stop and there isn't anything, is there? No, because it's it's code and especially since uh, HTML5 now has like video codes and stuff like that so it's just part of the page now. It, it, it'll adjust. So the browsers will adjust where you could block autoplay or turn off autoplay and it's something that needs to happen because it's all like, you know, uh, strike and parry, right? Yes. Move and counter move. Yes. So. And also, too, I've noticed when that autoplay you're calling yeah. it happens, after I close that and then I close down the site, behind it is a plethora of <laughs> other things that are playing, too, that I, I didn't even click on. And, you know, you're, like, constantly closing all these Xs. Nauseous. So I get it that people need to make money, but... They need Let's to do it in a better man- a method, bit, for sure. You know? for All sure. right, he's asking, what's the difference between a classic hard disk and a solid-state drive, and why should I care? 
speed. Yeah, and a hard disk drive, the hard drive has been around since 1956. Yeah. Um, they were two feet across and could only store a few <laughs> megabytes then. But now we can cram 10 terabytes into something about the size of a kitchen sponge. Yeah. So um, yeah, the fantastic. hard disk drive spins at, it says, 54 to 7,200 revolutions per minute. But the downside, they can be power hungry. They generate noise and they produce heat and they aren't as fast. And ultimately, they mechanically wear out over time. The SSD, on the other hand... Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so the, the difference really is no moving parts. So if you've ever cracked open a computer and, and you're seeing your actually hard disk drive, what it looks like is they call them platters. So it looks like uh, a bunch of little mini CDs stacked on top of each other. And so when you're talking about the RPMs, that's mechanical move. So when everything's stored on a sector on the disk and for the read head to, to pull up that in your Facebook page, uh, it has to go to a specific part of the disk so there's movement and and with the solid state drive it's solid there's no movement no no mechanical movement so it's much much quicker uh, it's the same technology as a thumb drive so if you plug in a your usb drive you plug, that's using solid state technology on a much smaller scale um, so it's really speed and um, storage capacity durability too. yeah um yeah for sure because it, it without the moving parts you could drop a solid state drive right. and it wouldn't have the advert well it might but i mean and it's a case these things i have yes. several of them and they are you know, like armor plating. Yeah. And you can drop them in milk. I wouldn't advise you to, <laughs> advise you to do that. Not recommended. But you can. I've seen on YouTube what they've done with them, and it's pretty amazing. It's great. So what would be a reason to uh, get a, a solid-state drive or vice versa the other way, um, a hard disk? Like, what would be your reasons for doing one or the other? Would you ever advise anybody to still go with the hard disk, or would you say at this point, SSD? Yes. Oh, they absolutely. Would. Still, sure, because while there's still uh, a mechanical component with a hard disk drive, the speed is really your range in your processor and your CPU. And so actually, what I tell people, I've gotten this question a lot recently, is I want to buy a new computer, do you have recommendations? And that's one of the things I tell them to look at, um, is how are you using your computer? Are you using it to stream movies? Are you using it to stream uh, uh, MP3s, uh, just surf the web, play gaming? Um, or are you using it as like a repository for the pictures of your grandkids? Right. And, and that's really, or store MP3s. Or st if you're using it for storage, you can get a terabyte hard, hard disk drive for about the cost of a 256 gig solid state drive. So if you're using it for storage, you go, you go, with, uh, you go with the hard disk drive because you're going to get so much more storage. Okay. But what about if you're wanting an external drive like me? So, right. And that's, yeah, so that's that's actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I talked, uh, that's one of the things I said to one of the people that recently yeah, asked I me. Yeah, I store all my music yeah. separately from my computer hard yeah. drive in case anything ever blows up, I have it, so. Yeah. And those and those external hard drives most likely are solid-state drives. They sure are. So, so what I recommend to people is if... Um, if you if you want to go with the solid state drive, but uh, still need a, more than two fifty six, just get the base model for the the laptop or whatever with the solid state drive, and buy one of those external yeah. hard drives that are a terabyte for like seventy bucks. Yeah, they're reasonable. It's so and much they're easier. They're easy to use, yeah. and yeah. then you just feel safe. And then the good news about that is you can take your collection with you wherever yes. you go yes, you and plug it into anything. Yep. So that's kind of the nice news about the SSD yes. from my little bitty point of view. One thing I'll mention too about the solid state drive is they're much thinner. So if you get a really if you notice that uh, laptops are so thin nowadays, and two things that they uh, manufacturers removed in order to get that thinness is the DVD drive and the Ethernet port. 
And so oh, right. no yeah. drives. And again, you can get an external hard drive, an external DVD drive. That's fine. But if you're in the market for a new laptop, keep an eye on those. If you use, if yes. you use to watch DVDs, you make sure that it's yes. explicitly states it's that's there. That's the problem <laughs> I had with the last computer I bought. Yeah. I didn't look for that yeah. spec on it. And yeah. You know, I had to get another one. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I think we covered that uh, back in episode two. We did our vocabulary. So yes. um, Brad dropped a lot of those big words yeah, in there. Sorry. Ram and stuff. <laughs> no, that's cool. So those are located in episode, episode two, which Cyber is vocabulary. Vocab- yeah. And then I think episode three was the buying guide. Believe, so yes. um, all the information Similar. Brad just yeah. gave a little bit about, you know, what to look for if you're purchasing a computer. You can um, scroll back, yeah. so to speak, and, and listen to those. All right. And the last question I have before we talk about the chip technology, which was something I wanted to cover. Uh, so Mary Giroux asked about plugins from Safari. She was trying to do something and she had to install Adobe and she was having problems. And she's saying, why can't Apple and Safari and Adobe all just get along? <laughs> why did she have to download Chrome to simply open a document? So, yeah. yeah. So what do we do about that? It's the PDF. So Adobe makes Adobe Reader, which is PDF. And a PDF is um, a document that you can't edit. And so What does PDF stand for? Portable Document Format. Oh. So um, it's it's secure because you can uh, you you know what the other person is going to be looking at. If you send them a word doc, you, the people can edit it. So it on locks route it down. before it gets to you. No. So when you open it, so like if somebody opens oh, it, yeah. Saying. So if somebody okay. opens it and I like open me, it, the content is there. Mm-hmm. I want to change it before I yeah, print it out and give it to my right. boss, so I'm able to do that. Yeah. But with a PDF, it's protected. Right, you can't write it. You can't, you can't write on it. Um, oh, okay. So the, a lot of uh, browsers are doing what they call uh, p- PDF viewer or preview or something like that. And so that's, uh, that's kind of like a plug-in. So it's an extension to your browser to, in order to enable the browser to do more. Okay. Um, and, and so it's not – because it's – because it's not native to the browser code, it becomes like a security risk at times because there's no guarantee. It doesn't know what's going on. So it's locking it down by default. Um, and you can install browser plugins in order to preview the PDF directly in the browser. And I think that's what she's talking about is that if that setting is turned off in your browser, it's going to just give you this blank page with like enable, click here to enable yeah. or something I think like a couple that. of times when I've attempted to download or open, I don't know what the proper term is, uh, mm-hmm. PDFs, sometimes I get weird looking code, like wingdings on there. And yeah. Stuff like <laughs> super, understand super, it. super frustrating. So when this occurs, you, you get an email from your friend, it has an attachment. You attempt to open the attachment, it won't open or you get weirdness. What are the steps? What do you have to do? Download it. That, I was, you can you can you can install a plugin to be able to preview it, but sometimes it doesn't always work. So what we do with the library actually is you can change the setting in your browser to take away that option to preview in the browser, and that's where the problem is coming in. Is the okay. browser doesn't understand the what's what it's supposed to be displaying. So you can turn that off and say open an Adobe Reader. Most people will have Adobe Reader. Uh, if you don't, just Google Git Adobe Reader, right, and you free. can download Yes, it's yeah, free. And it's fairly safe, right? Yes, very There's safe. There's another Adobe that isn't, though. There's Adobe Acrobat. Oh, Flash, I think yeah, you're talking about. Adobe Flash. One. Completely different. Don't do that. Right? Yes. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, but that's, Adobe Reader is Yes, okay. Adobe Reader is basically just a PDF viewer. And so what you can do is you can set your browser to open Adobe, uh, any PDFs in Adobe Reader instead of the browser. Okay. And so it's, what it'll do is it'll download and open another application. It might take a little bit longer because it's basically handing off the, the functionality to a different app, but it's more secure and you're not going to have to worry about um, And worry then, about then that. you won't have to download Chrome to, yeah. to read a letter from 
Susie, you right, know, really. Right. Okay, so so again, the steps would be you open the attachment, you can't see it. Right. So then you would want to go to settings. Is that where you would so, find yeah, the you browser can, settings? Where would you find that? So yeah, so it's going to be settings and then security or privacy, depends on the browser, um, and then you'd have to do that. So if you that is if you want to prevent it in the future. Right. So like if you just, if you don't want to change things in the browser, the easiest thing, if you can't read it, go back to the email and download the attachment. Okay. That's going to be the easiest download way. Download it first. Download it. Then you read it and you say, and okay, just... now I want to go fix it forever. This is when you would go yeah. into settings. Security, you said? It's going to be, it depends. I can't remember the settings in Safari um, or the new version of Firefox, but it's 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 your your options or your settings, and it's going to be either privacy or content or something okay. like that. If you run into this, come down to the library. We can and I we'll can show it. you. Yeah. yeah. And then from settings or privacy, you would just change it to allow. You can either allow. So if it's blocking it, you want to allow. But if it's getting those wingdings, that means it doesn't understand it. So you can change that setting to open an Adobe Reader. All right. And, you know, maybe a fun thing to do <laughs> would be if this problem occurs and you have a couple of minutes, just try it either way. Yeah. Block it. Sure. Then go back and unblock it. Mm -hmm. And when I do these kinds of fun little tricks, I always <laughs> write down what I did and what it looked like first. Yeah. You even can take a picture with your phone. Oh, yeah. So you can see what the settings page looked like yep. and how you left it before you got there. Because playing with this stuff sometimes... You you can kind of mess up other areas, yes. and then you say, oh, my gosh, now I can't even get to the web. How come? What did I do? Because you maybe clicked something you shouldn't have. Right. So. I always write stuff down to make changes. Yeah, you that's have to. what I do, too. Or, like I said, just take a picture with your phone so you can yep. see exactly yep. what you did. All right, so the next, uh, the last question we're going to talk about, or the last item we're going to talk about, and I do want to thank Miri Drew and John Mall for those awesome questions. I'd like to know about this chip card thing. Yeah. What is the deal with the chip? I have a card <laughs> that has it. Why do we even need it? I thought I know we have hackers and all kinds of problems with information being stolen from credit cards and stuff. But why did we have to enable this? It's just one more thing. Yeah. Why? So like it's it's all about fraud, right? So they said that the fraud that thirty seven percent of all um, all credit card fraud is due to the magnetic strip. So. What what you do is you just you, you slide your magnetic strip, and that's it's static, so it doesn't change over time. And doesn't that mean that the transaction is actually live? In other words, that information stays on the strip, right? Isn't that part of what the issue it's is? Like, I believe it's so. Held there, I think, is what they're trying it's like, to say. It's probably like a code or something, yeah. a line and of so code that registered they, it to you. Yeah. So they're not just stealing your number now. What they're actually stealing is the data information off that magnetic strip. Right. It sounds like to me. Yeah, I think I so. I, yeah, I mean, this is like so. A multi it sounds to me like it's not a it's it's not a read and write situation it's a maybe a read only where it's on there all the time or a write only it's there it never goes away no. from what i understand yeah and that's why they created the chip so the chip yeah the chip is always there too it just adds a level of complexity and so um it sounds like it's um it's an encryption method and so what what uh, i used to work for uh partners healthcare and i was in charge of a pgp application which is encryption and pgp actually stands for pretty good protection so, oh, wow. Yeah, right. Pretty right? good. Yes. That's funny. And it, it's uncrackable, essentially. And so what it does is it has its um, – it's called uh, – they use keys. So you have, a, you have a private key and a public key, and you sign – what you do is you sign your transaction. So you basically write – you apply the, the code on top of the transaction before you send it over. And, like, the receiving partner has the other side of the key to decrypt it. So they, it's a secure transfer. So nothing's in plain text, and only you 
and people that you give the key to are able to actually make sense of this data. And so what this car, this chip seems to be doing is encrypting not only the transaction, so where you are, what card you're using, but like that that transaction itself is part of that uh, that pass off of, the, right. of everything. So it's not so like the strip is always there, the car, the chip is always there, but what's not always there is the specific transaction. Correct. I think the strip held each transaction within it is what they're getting. I at. believe Something so. Like that. And yeah. You guys know I'm not the most technical <laughs> person, but the strip somehow was holding that information, and the chip yeah. does not. Right. Or it blocks it. I should say it's in there, but you can't get at it. Yes. Um, I guess there are two different kinds too. There are um, EMV technology chip and pin and chip and signature cards. Two different kinds. Yeah. So the chip and pin, you'll have to set up a pin number, but just the regular one, you just kind of slide it yeah. in there. Still have to sign, though. Hmm. <laughs> I thought maybe with the chip, I wouldn't have to sign anymore, but you still yeah. have to if it's over $50 anyway. Yeah. Also, I should let you know that there was a notable exception to this rule. Gas stations have been kind of given a little extra time, um, I guess, due to the regulatory co- the cost and the regulatory complications of storing the cards at the pump. So it's going to be mm. a while before we see chip cards at the pumps. I think they were given a little extra deadline, but I'm sure some of the smaller gas stations, smaller businesses, we probably won't see them for a while. Got to replace the hardware. Yeah, yeah and it also says transactions made online or by phone aren't affected by EMV technology. So well, right, how much are we really saving ourselves trouble here? I mean, yes, I, I know, and I don't like to talk badly about TJ Maxx. <laughs> I love them. But I know that a few years ago, um, a lot of their data was stolen, yeah. and that's right from the main source. So how much difference is it going to make if when I go to a store, I plug it in with the chip? Yeah. How much fraud is being complete, complete, uh, enacted from there, rather, than would be online and other ways? Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure this is really – I guess I, I'm saying that I think the chip is making us have a false sense of security is what I think I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and I think it comes down to what you were saying before we started here is this change is really to protect the credit card companies versus us. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I yeah. mean, we are kind of being led down the garden path thinking, oh, the chip, it's all for yeah. you and it's great for you because yeah. it will prevent you from from having fraud. But the truth is, yeah. we were reading about it before we started the podcast today. It's really more about the liability on the end of the credit yeah. card company. They don't want to have to shell out the <laughs> money when we tell them that, no, I wasn't in Albuquerque buying a stereo <laughs> system. You know, And I understand that, too. But it's sort of being um, marketed to us as a great security protection for us. Yeah. And I suppose as the end user, it is a protection for us. But it's really more for the credit card companies. I would agree. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's do our food for thought because that is about the chip. So Brad's going to bring you your food for thought. And now it's time for your technology tidbit, food for thought. All right, so the computer chip, technically called an EMV chip for EuroPay, MasterCard, Visa, the three companies that create the technology standard, creates a unique signature for each transaction. Right. So the three credit card guys got oh, yeah. together. They worked together. That's, that's, that's like, impressive. Wow. <laughs> to create something that will ultimately help the three of them. But right. that's pretty good, though. Yeah, um, for sure. And I wonder if other card companies will follow suit. We'll see. Will eventually my dress barn card have a chip <laughs> on it? You know, I mean, because if we're going to protect ourselves, we might yeah. as well protect everything. Sure. Right? Yeah. All right. So I guess that probably brings us to the end of episode eight here. We do thank all our listeners and subscribers, and we especially thank John Mall, Mary Giroux, and I'll thank myself for bringing that chip question along. <laughs> um, you guys know that Brad does have a companion page at the library, so I'll let him talk a little bit about that. 
Yep, sure. So if you go to wilmlibrary.org slash BDD, Bridging the Digital Divide, we'll have the latest episode there with uh, further reading. Uh, there's also a field at the bottom. So if you have any questions, you can always submit them through that page. Right. And clearly we will answer pretty much anything. Yes. If, if we don't know, we will try to do Homework. the research to find <laughs> it out for you. But, you know, we really do appreciate you listening and your interaction really helps us to forward the program. And that's what we're trying to do. So this concludes this episode of Bridging the Digital Divide. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.